I'm Diana Davison, an advocate for the falsely accused and wrongfully convicted. I started a nonprofit called The Lighthouse Project a few years ago after receiving so many calls for help, I decided to devote myself to the problem full time. These are the stories that aren't supposed to exist. The true tales of innocent people whose lives have been ripped to shreds, and they're not allowed to tell their stories until now. This is the story of comedian and talk show host Mike Bullard, falsely accused of stalking an ex-girlfriend who happened to be a member of the media. Efforts were made within the media to stop Bullard from telling his side of the story, ultimately resulting in a defamation suit that may finally help to clear his name. You're listening to Untrue Crime on the Possibly Correct Network with Diana Davidson. Stay up to date with the latest releases and investigations from Diana by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds, and Gab. Or sign up to our email list at www.untruecrimepodcast.com. When Mike Bullard filed a defamation suit against Rogers Media for an article published in Chatelaine magazine, nobody knew what material that lawsuit would produce. Apparently, not even Rogers Media themselves. During discovery, they handed over raw interview transcripts, which ended up providing Bullard with the evidence of malice he'd expected. Now, it's very rare to get evidence of malice, especially in a lawsuit against the media. And it seems that Rogers didn't read their own material before crafting their defense. Additionally, internal emails show that Rogers' media personnel played a role from the very beginning, acting beyond their role as Mulligan's employer and contributing to Bullard's loss of employment with a competing network. It was only after these records were produced that Rogers filed what's called an anti-slap motion. SLAP stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Typically, a slap suit is filed by someone with money against someone who doesn't have money, and they do it to bully the weaker person into silence. A wealthy person can afford lawyers and the poor person can't, so the person without money agrees to not make public statements if the wealthy person agrees to stop suing them. It's a David versus Goliath situation. Of course, in this case, Mike Bullard was the poor person. After over two years of waiting for trial, Mike had been unemployed as a result and lost everything, including the death of his mother and, shortly after the lawsuit was launched, the death of his lawyer. In the course of my investigation into Mike Bullard's case, I became quite good friends with his civil lawyer, Joseph Villeneuve. Joe had taken up Bullard's case because he felt a great injustice had taken place. We often talked about the case and shared our insights as to what had really happened and why. But in a sudden tragedy, Joe died in a motorcycle accident this summer, after completing most of the arguments in Bullard's response to the anti-slap motion. As I continue my investigation, I often want to call Joe and tell him what I've discovered, knowing how excited he'd be. And then I remember, Joe won't be here to see justice served. But I do know that he'd be very happy that the truth is finally coming out. I remember Joe telling me, after the depositions, that Roger's lead counsel in court, Andrew Bernstein, had strutted up to him in the hallway and told him something to the effect of, when this is all over, you'll still be a nobody. Of course, that comment was off the record. 
Yet, when they got to the arguments in front of the judge, Bernstein apparently conceded, telling Joe, you're a really good lawyer. And he was. Joseph Villeneuve was a lawyer who cared about justice. That's why he took Mike Bullard's case in the first place. And it was his passion to see this through that really hooked me into it. And I can tell you that, as confident as Joe was going into the lawsuit, every time Rogers Media responded, they made his case even better. Perhaps it is Rogers Media's vanity, thinking that they can say or do whatever they want and get away with it, that caused them the problems. Given the transcripts and evidence they produced, vanity seems to be the only explanation. But the other possibility is that they have so much money they think they can out-litigate Mike Bullard until he can't afford to continue. And that is what anti-slap motions are designed to prevent. I told Joe from the beginning that it seemed Rogers was using anti-slap legislation to engage in a slap motion itself. It's the most perverse abuse of the new legislation that I can imagine. And my understanding at this moment is that they've vowed to appeal if they lose, because they can, and because they think Mike will run out of money to keep fighting. And is that justice? Most certainly it's not what the law was intended for. In fact, it's just the opposite. So right now, Mike Bullard's defamation suit is sitting there waiting for a decision on whether or not Mike Bullard is using defamation law to silence other people, even though Rogers Media produced evidence of malice and conceded that they didn't even put out a simple request for comment before publishing their article. And they are the ones with all the money. And it's an article, I should mention, which concludes that Mike Bullard has never taken responsibility for his alleged crimes against his ex-girlfriend, Cynthia Mulligan, who also works for Rogers Media. It's an article which the author, Sarah Bodesfeld, admits she wrote because she thinks Bullard should go away for a while. And Bodesfeld is documented as having told other media personalities that they shouldn't tell Mike Bullard's side of the story either. But Rogers Media is claiming that Mike Bullard is trying to silence them. In court, lawyer Andrew Bernstein said he took no glee from the fact that Bullard has nothing after his ordeal. He takes no glee from that fact, but continued to argue that because Bullard was broke, he can't prove any damages. So even if Rogers defamed him, which from my understanding, they kind of conceded to as well, even if they did that, he can't prove any losses. Well, how about that? According to Rogers Media, if you're a nobody, you can be defamed, smeared, slandered, whatever you want to call it. Sarah Bosfeld, she can write anything about you she wants, and it doesn't matter, because you're a nobody. So, you didn't suffer big enough losses. I don't think that's what Canadian defamation law was designed to support. I also don't think that's what anti-slap laws were designed for. It's to stop Goliath from attacking David. And in this case, Rogers Media is Goliath, no matter how much they want to tell us that they aren't as rich as people think they are. And that's actually a statement I heard Bernstein make in court. So Rogers Media is willing to take a gamble right now. They think they can smear Mike Bullard, wipe their collective bottoms with the impunity of public interest claims, and make a mockery of our justice system by saying they were simply writing to please a female audience. You know, that gender that apparently doesn't care about or deserve truth, facts, or balanced articles. And they've got female authors like Sarah Bosfeld 
willing to sign whatever affidavit her lawyers write for her. But I'll tell you something, I'm a woman too, and I smell a rat. No matter how long Rogers Media tries to drag this out, there is another criminal trial that is going to take place. That is the trial of a private investigator who uncovered some inconvenient truths that one of Cynthia Mulligan's witnesses in Mike Bullard's trial lied under oath after speaking to Mulligan on the phone. But the PI got criminally charged before he could bring that evidence to Bullard's defense team. Nevertheless, Cynthia Mulligan will have to testify in that second trial, along with her colleague Pam Seidel, and I look forward to hearing them answer some very difficult questions under oath. And now that Rogers Media has turned over the transcript from the interview with Bodesfeld for their article, that material is now available for the trial of the private investigator. You see, there's a reason that good people don't lie. It makes it a lot easier when you go to court. And there's a reason good people shouldn't call in the police to arrest innocent people when what you're really trying to do is silence that person's speech. Here's the reason. If you don't do that, then you don't have to lie under oath when you get to court. Now, I'm not saying I know what will happen when Cynthia Mulligan and Pam Seidel have to testify at the trial for the private investigator. I'm just saying I'll be there and I'll be taking notes. While I don't know what will happen when Mulligan actually gets fully cross-examined in court, especially now the transcripts from her media interview have been filed in court, one of the things I do have right now are all of Joseph Villeneuve's notes that he used for his arguments in court and the transcript of his cross-examination of Sarah Bodesfeld on her affidavits. As a note, Bodesfeld was the only witness that Rogers Media made available for deposition. So kudos to her for taking on the brunt of this problem that she helped to create. Because, you know, as she said herself, she should probably have just read the transcripts before publishing her article. Nevertheless, some great stuff happened in the deposition, and here it is. You know that old saying that it's not what people say, but what they don't say that matters? In civil suits, this has a name. They call it refusals. But before I get into these stunning refusals, I want to make it clear that Sarah Bodesfeld isn't the one who refused to answer. Rogers Media's lawyer interrupted and told her not to answer. So it's not Bodesfeld who's responsible for what follows. The first time I met Kevin O'Leary was at 1010. I think he had a show there for about a year. It was really weird because the only guy he ever talked to was Jerry Agar. The rest of us would say hello to him. He just wouldn't say a word. And then one day I was going in the studio and he was kind of between me and the door and I had to brush my way past him. So I said, hey man, how you doing? You know, all the money in the world is never going to make you 5'8". As I walked in the door, I could just feel his eyes burning into the base of my spine. Then a year later... I uh, was doing the Gavin Crawford show at CBC and I was walking in the building. There was a lady in front of me and he was in front of her and he flung the door open. He was on the phone and he kind of let the door go on her. So I grabbed it and she went in and I walked in and I felt like clobbering the guy. But there's something about that place. As soon as you walk in, you feel like a metrosexual in need of a petty manny. Weirdest building in the world. You're listening to Untrue Crime on the Possibly Correct Network with Diana Davison as she sheds light on the true stories that aren't supposed to exist and investigates the alleged crimes which never even happened. 
Stay up to date with the latest releases and investigation from Diana by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds.com and Gab. Or sign up to our email list at www.untruecrimepodcast.com. While you're online, please show your support and leave a review for the podcast on your chosen media player. You can check out all of our podcasts by following Possibly Correct on Minds.com. Now back to the podcast. The live-action Lion King has been released to theaters today. You know what's great about that? Unlike the animated version, now you can tell your 35-year-old kid to f*** when they ask you to see it with them. And you know they're going to go ten times. First of all, Joe Villeneuve asked Bosfeld if she was familiar with journalistic ethics. He says... Okay, with respect to the preliminary issues, are you familiar with the Canadian Association of Journalists? Answer, yes. Question, do you agree it's an authority on ethical guidelines for the journalism profession in Canada? Answer, no. Question, do you agree that it makes available ethical guidelines for journalists in Canada? Answer, yes. Question, are you familiar with those? Answer, no. In fact, Bosfeld asserts that she's an experienced journalist whose, quote, beat is covering crime, but she hasn't got any suggestions as to what guidelines she follows in her own alleged professional conduct. Of course, it's not her job to provide information here, just to answer questions. So here's another question. Do you agree that it's in the public interest to fairly represent the judicial process and decision-making of the courts? Ms. Whitmore, that's Roger's lawyer at the time, don't answer that. That's a legal question. This particular question gets revisited and reworded multiple times, and every single attempt to get an answer results in Bodesfeld being told not to answer the question. But is it a legal question? Is it in the public interest to fairly represent the judicial process and decision-making of the courts? Joe Villeneuve got very frustrated because the actual defense of Rogers Media was that there is a public interest in understanding how women experience the legal system. So you would think that part of that mission would include accuracy in reporting what actually happened in court, right? Now I don't want to lose you here and it's a really important point so I'm going to repeat it. The article in dispute alleges to not be about Mike Bullard, even though they put his name in the title. For reference it's called he was like two different people, Cynthia Mulligan, on Mike Bullard's harassment and his guilty plea. But Rogers asserts in court that the article is not about Mike Bullard. They say it's about the justice system and public interest in how women experience the justice system. So when Bodesfeld is asked, question, but perhaps you can tell me what are all of the various criteria that you assess when considering the public interest, Ms. Whitmore says, don't answer that. But why not? Rogers is defending their article, saying it's in the public interest, but their lawyer says Bodesfeld shouldn't discuss how she determines public interest. Very curious. We're only on page 10 out of 246 pages right now, and the next exchange takes place. Question, well, do you believe that the public should be advised of both sides of the story? Ms. Whitmore interrupts. Don't answer that. Okay, what the hell is going on here? Remember, this is Rogers Media, a major news corporation, 
telling their journalist not to answer whether or not the public should hear both sides of a story. So Joe tries another route. Question, do you agree that it's in the public interest to communicate only accurate information about court processes? Ms. Whitmore interrupts, telling Bodesfeld, don't answer that. Okay, what the ever-loving hell? Why did they not want Bodesfeld to answer that question? What possible reason could a news outlet have for refusing to answer whether or not the public deserves to hear both sides of a story or whether the subsequent reporting should have accurate information? I suppose we're meant to keep in mind that Chatelaine is written for women, not the general public. Is that what Rogers thinks about their female audience? Why is it that Rogers thinks women don't care about hearing both sides of a story? When we think about defamation by the media, we think of stories which name a person in the title and make horrible statements about their character without any concern for fact-checking or even the basic journalistic principle of contacting that person for comment. You know, we think of articles like what Rogers Media published about Mike Bullard. In the deposition, Joseph Villeneuve asked Sarah Bosfeld, when you say he's like two different people, you are referring to Mike Bullard, correct? Answer, yes. Question, and you are suggesting that there is a personality or psychological issue with Mike Bullard, correct? Ms. Whitmore, don't answer that question. Villeneuve, why not? Whitmore, it's not appropriate. Villeneuve, how is it inappropriate? Whitmore, you haven't laid the foundation for whether or not she even wrote the title. Well, you know what? That is true. But Rogers Media only made Sarah Bodesfeld available for cross-examination. And that's why I kind of feel sorry for Miss Bosfeld. But I gotta say, I only feel a little bit sorry for her. The problem here is that in the transcripts of the raw interview handed over by Rogers Media, Bosfeld repeatedly calls Mike Bullard a stalker, even though she's repeatedly told by Cynthia Mulligan that the stalking charge was thrown out of court by a judge. And Bosfeld has the following exchange with Joseph Villeneuve in cross-examination. After confronting her with comments she made about whether or not Bullard would end up in what Bosfeld called the manosphere, Bosfeld says, I thought perhaps he could go away for a while and consider his guilty plea in criminal court. Villeneuve later asks, question, well, is it possible he had a right to go and explain what happened in criminal court with the dismissal of the stalking allegation? Answer, sure, he had a right. Question, and that there's a public interest in hearing from people who have been wrongly accused, would you agree? Ms. Whitmore, that's a legal question and she's not going to answer any legal questions. Villeneuve, it's not a legal question. Whitmore, yes it is. Villeneuve, it's a journalistic question about her ethics. Whitmore, no it's not. Villeneuve, and it's about fair reporting and the presumption of innocence. Miss Whitmore does not reply to that comment, at least not on the record. I wonder why. Now, I want to make it clear to you that this is a real transcript. This is not a joke. What you are listening to is a major media corporation arguing that, while reporting on the criminal justice system, they refuse to answer whether or not they need to be fair or accurately tell people what happened in court. And then we wonder why the public has lost faith in the legal system. Of course, someone could report what they heard in court and not properly understand what was said 
and it would still pass a libel test, but the reporter would have to have heard what was said in court or read a transcript. In this case, Sarah Bosveld was specifically told by Cynthia Mulligan that all of her fear-based accusations were thrown out in a preliminary hearing. Yet Bosveld went ahead and published an article about Mulligan's alleged fear while removing that crucial fact. As I've said before, there was no benefit to Rogers Media to inform the public that one of their star reporters was found in court to not be rational. In their statement of defense, Rogers specifically states that they don't care whether or not Mulligan was reasonable or rational, but they certainly wanted their readers to believe that she was. And they also most certainly claim they had zero responsibility to contact Mike Bullard before they published an article that had his name in the headline. So where does this leave the public and their trust in Rogers Media? I can tell you that not only are they refusing to admit they screwed up, they're using anti-slap legislation in what seems to be an attempt to make litigation too expensive for Mike Bullard to continue. It's my understanding that Rogers has said if they lose this anti-slap hearing, they'll appeal it all the way to Supreme Court. It's David versus Goliath, but Rogers Media is the one claiming that they are the underdog. By the way, just to add to that, the reason uh, the OPP arrested Kevin O'Leary is because they found a phone book on the seat, so they know he was driving. Renowned philosopher and author, Dr. Stephen Hicks, in his podcast, Open College, on the Possibly Correct Network. Listen as Dr. Hicks helps make sense of the madness by taking an in-depth look into how postmodernism is affecting the world we live in and your very lives without you even realizing it. Subscribe to the Open College Podcast by going to www.opencollegepodcast.com and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds.com and Gab for all the latest news and releases. You can check out all of our podcasts by following Possibly Correct on Minds.com. Now back to the podcast. You know, I love it when Americans say they wish Justin Trudeau was president. I usually respond by saying, yeah, me too. One of the things in their article that is under dispute is a claim by Cynthia Mulligan that police told her to temporarily leave her home. She says it was one of the most devastating moments when she had to come home from the police station and tell her daughters that it wasn't safe for them to be in their own home and they had to move. That's in the article. The problem is this. Not a single police officer recorded having told Mulligan that, and it's pretty serious advice. It's the kind of thing police would record, but a void of evidence doesn't give us facts, does it? So here's the thing. Mulligan claims the concern was that Mike Bullard was in the hospital at the time, and for privacy reasons, they wouldn't tell police when Bullard was going to be released. She says it was 10 days until she was informed that he'd turned himself in on the latest charge and that she was safe to go home. But that is false. Mike's lawyer called the police the very same day to tell them that he would turn himself in upon release, and before the end of the second day, the hospital confirmed with police that they would let them know when he was released. And here's the next problem with Mulligan's fabulous tale. On the same day she claims that she got that advice from police directly, the notes say, asked Mulligan if she wanted victim services. No. 
gave Mulligan information on safety planning. And that is what Cynthia Mulligan says was the advice to move. But the problem is that police don't actually do safety planning. It's a guidebook available online through Victim Services. I went to the full guidebook and read every single page of the safety planning tips that they offer. And keep in mind, this is for women who are actually being severely beaten by their live-in partners and trying to find a safe exit plan. So we're talking about women who are actively in daily danger and living with abuse that is affecting their children directly. And women who've been beaten and have restraining orders against their ex-partners who have literally threatened to kill them. And I'll tell you one thing that they don't have anywhere on that document called safety planning. The one thing they don't say is to temporarily move out of your home. You can look it up yourself. It's online. Go to victimservicestoronto.com slash resources. Go to the first link called Complete Victim Services Toronto Safety Planning Book 2018. I've read the entire document and not a single piece of advice says to temporarily move out of your house. I doubt they changed that over the last two years since advice keeps getting more and more enhanced. It's utterly ridiculous that Mulligan continues to assert this to be true. And Sarah Bosveld could have easily checked that victim services are the ones who do safety planning, not the police. Now, I can agree with Rogers Media that they can't fact check whether or not Mulligan felt afraid of Mike Bullard, even though the judge said that there was no reason for her to be afraid. She's welcome to feel however she wants, no matter how absurd. But that doesn't mean that journalists should publish anything that someone says. There is an ability for journalists to do simple fact checking on the things they can try to confirm. And if we let Rogers Media say that they no longer have any obligation, then all of us are just going to be fodder for their smear campaigns and outrage clickbait machine. And more importantly, if other media outlets support Rogers Media in this lawsuit, they're telling us that they'd do the same thing. While Joseph Villeneuve is no longer with us to see Mike Bullard's side of the story finally getting out, it was his devotion to justice that launched this defamation suit that spurred me to acquire the transcripts and that put all of this material into court where the public can finally discover the truth. So this is for you, Joe. Rest in peace, my friend. Thank you.